Welcome to another Kirk E. Free Sermons Podcast. Pastor Josh, how are you today? I'm doing good. How yeah. about you, Sean? I'm doing really good. Doing really good. I had a busy day yesterday. I'm feeling it this morning. Mm-hmm. Getting those projects done. But wasn't it one of those days where you just go, man, life is good. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the weather opened up. It was yeah. just beautiful. It was one of those days where it wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold. Oh, I could yeah. get anything done. The kids were being helpful. It was oh, just fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Took the kids over to the, uh, we've, we've got the gravel piles here in Kirkhoven, right, where you can get rocks and sand and things like that. that okay. Uh, a local company owns it, and you just mm-hmm. let them know. It. Okay. And anyway, so while I'm shoveling, they're climbing the mountains, and they're just having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had a good time. I heard Eliora went over there last night. Is that right? She did. Went on a little ride over there to get some sand or something yeah. or other. Yeah. yeah. Came back with a dirty bottom, and everybody else was just, yeah. I think I... Some, there were some baths at our house last night. Well, there, yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's fun stuff. Yeah. The, this last week in the Pursuit podcast, Josh, we got yeah. talking about directions. So okay. it's basic as north, south, east, west, right? Mm. Maybe I should say north, east, south. What would you say? North, south, east, west. I guess that's I would what go I that said. Way. Yeah. Anyway, Obviously. we were talking about who in the room, Nathan, Ashley, or I, mm-hmm. who has the compass, you know, in their brain. Oh, that yeah. they just, wherever they are, they know this is north mm. or wherever, you know, they fundamentally know when they're traveling, what's going on and all yeah. that stuff. What are you? You, you? you a direction guy? You got the compass in your head? No, uh, that's such a new thing here too, because everyone refers to north side, south side, east side, west side. And I'm like- Really? Yeah. Um, I've had to learn it and I'm getting to know it now. Sure. Uh, but I still find myself thinking, wait a minute. Okay. What direction? I have which? to think about which, yeah, yeah, which way is which. And th- there's always in every town, it's like there's an arbitrary north. Like oh, everyone sure. assumes Highway 12 runs just east west. Well, it doesn't. Yeah, no. But we kind of refer to it as if it does. Right. When I lived in Duluth, it was the same thing with mm. the north shore of Lake Superior. Okay. Well, it is on the north side of the lake, but then you automatically start thinking it runs north south, oh, but it doesn't. It doesn't. One of the biggest things, actually, since living here and moving somewhere else, people around here. There's not even – it's like street names don't exist. Oh, you just go past the old Anderson house. Oh, yeah. Take yeah. a left at the old Anderson house. Oh, you know, that's where he lived in 1901. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, listen, I wasn't around. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that's how people refer to things. So when I moved to Duluth, yeah, learning streets, I was like, oh, this is pretty handy. Yeah. How people will say 21st Avenue <laughs> and things like that, you know. Right. You don't do that around here. <laughs> Yeah, I've noticed. It is <laughs> funny. Noticed. Yeah. yeah. So you grew up with the, the street method. Yes. The civilized approach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Josh, this last week we did a live Zoom service for our congregation, and uh, we're going to share that message today. Do you want to give us just a little bit of insight to what we're going to hear? Yeah, absolutely. Well, here we are. We're on the cusp of coming back to church before we even knew it. With that uh, has come... At least on our end as church leaders, a lot of preparation to get ready for what it means to have doors open again. And while you're doing all that, sometimes you get caught up in the many details that it, what it takes to have our facility ready. But there's also the spiritual element of what we need to be ready in our hearts and minds as we come back to church. So that was my thought and my focus in coming into this message. That's great. Okay, we're going to roll that now. Great. 
Well, before we uh, continue on in our study of Mark, um, I'd like to take this opportunity, as I have done in past Zoom services, to uh, look together at some timely uh, words from the Lord to guide us, to bring us some mentality about how we should be thinking um, as we now move ahead, the plans we have in mind. Okay, what, what principles do we need to, to anchor us, to focus us, as we look towards coming back together as a church? Well, the fact is, and we're going to be walking this through with you here at the end, that our services here at the church for the foreseeable time will be very different in some significant ways. Nevertheless, we are moving ahead with meeting, and the thinking that went into that, it's not simply because, well, it's permissible. Uh, we can, therefore we should. No, that's, that wasn't the basis of our decision. There's greater drives that, that call us to say, I think it's time for us to come back together. I guess the main reason, one of the main drives that makes us say, you know what, it's worth it to give this a go, is that when the church assembles and it affirms something that, and it does this directly when we pro- in what we proclaim, but also indirectly in the fact that when we gather together as a body, we are saying to the world that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So the assembled church is his kingdom made visible. I can see Jesus' kingdom when I look around and see the church gathered together. And in addition to that, when we gather together, it's an invitation to anyone and to everyone to come, to come and see. See who God is. See what he has done. And so the banner of the assembled church is really this, that Jesus is Lord. We're, We're proclaiming that as we gather. So that's the main reason that we feel that It's worth assembling even right now. But that being said, if our assembling is done carelessly, we shatter that witness. They say, look at them. They don't care about their neighborhood. They don't care about even about their own. Well, some love they have. But we do not want to be like the rioters, right, or the looters of Minneapolis whose crimes have overshadowed now the loss of someone like George Floyd right? Nobody's even talking about that anymore. So we cannot downplay the risk involved, right? There's risk involved in us coming back together. Public gatherings, because of the nature of this virus, come with higher risk. Not just the risk of infection, but now as we think about how we gather, also the risk of giving Jesus a bad name. So there is a cost to churches getting together again in the middle of a pandemic, right? We're still in the middle of it. And the cost is a thorough set of precautionary measures. So Nathan and I have earned our PhD in Minnesota state guidelines this this week, okay? Um, And we're gonna share that with you in a little while. But because we care about our witness and we care about our members, Um, We care about those measures. We're going to seek to do our best at them, okay? And if done well, then we will enhance the name of Jesus, okay? We'll say that we really do care about what he cares about. So how then do we prepare our hearts, okay? We're going to prepare our building. We're going to prepare this facility. But how do you prepare your hearts to come back 
if you're ready, amidst such changes and amidst such risks. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Today I'm in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Why don't you grab your Bible and open there? 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. We looked very briefly at this on our Wednesday night prayer meeting, and I felt compelled to remain here today and unpack it a little more. So 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, I'll read it for us. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter writes this to a very displaced group of Christians whom he refers to as the elect exiles of the dispersion. That's chapter 1, verse 1. They've been dispersed. They're all over the place. And we know at this point in history, Christian persecution was only just beginning. It was very sporadic and isolated, but it appears by Peter's writing, uh, his comments, that at the time when he put this letter together, they had already been grieved by various trials, trials of all kinds. I'm sure with persecution, there came job loss, right? Um, Having to move, being displaced, and mistreatment from others. But in fact, the, the major theme of the book of Peter is this, Christian hope in the time of trial. Christian hope in the time of trial. Now, 16 times you'll see the word suffering being found. That's a major theme here, the word suffering. But that suffering, as Peter talks about it, it's always tied down. It's always moored or anchored to a word of hope. And Paul has been called the apostle of faith. John has been called the apostle of love. And Peter has been called the apostle of hope. Peter doesn't want any Christians to lose sight of the vision of hope that continuously shines, continuously pierces the present clouds of our distress and our trouble. Now, it will be evident to you soon enough that church reopened does not mean trial over. So don't be naive. Don't misunderstand. Our gathering will not be business as usual. But I'm okay with that. I've come to grips with that. And these verses have helped me. Uh, There's four parts to the statement that that Peter makes here, right? Now, we often jump in at the the later part, right? That part, casting all your anxieties on him. But that's right in mid-sentence, okay? And we won't know exactly what that means unless we start where Peter starts. So the thought actually begins in verse 6. And this is the only exhortation in, in the phrase, in the statement. Number one, the first thing it says there is humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Now, the root word of humble means low, not far from the ground. Where are you? Are you high or are you low? And the key, of course, is in relation to God. 
What's your condition before God? Charles Spurgeon once said, Many people have often been humbled, and yet they have not become humble. Boy, do we witness this all the time, right? We think God has really humbled this person or this city or this nation, right? And yet the person, the city, or the nation is not actually humble at all. Okay, it's possible to be brought low and to not become humble, right? Instead of becoming humble, they, they persist in a spirit of loftiness, of pride. Well, God has brought us low. For a time, he has put us all away into our homes, halted many of our ministries, suspended our public worship. Should we come back arrogantly? Should we come back grumbling? Should we come back asserting what's the right course or what's not? J. Vernon McGee adds this. He says, Christ is the only one who will establish justice and make things right when he comes. You cannot straighten out this world, although you may think you can. See, the reason Peter exhorts us to humble ourselves during the time of trial is because we are so prone to thinking, oh, we got this, right? I can handle this. I'll take care of it on my own. That's not a time to assert who knows better. It's certainly not a time for us to favor the strong over the weak. To humble oneself means to be willing to take a low place. It means accepting the lot that God has handed to us. Okay, here's what God's given to us. And then showing more concern for the needs of others around us. Now, in our case, we have a choice of whether to be humble about what the government has asked us to do by complying or not. And it really doesn't matter if you agree. And sure you're free to disagree. But you can disagree while humbling yourself. Earlier in the letter, Peter wrote this in chapter 2. He said, I want you to be subject. That's a word of humility. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This is verse 13. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So what does that mean? What does honoring the emperor, honoring everyone, loving the brotherhood require of you and me? Well, it requires being subjected, humbling oneself. But there is a reason that we should follow Peter's command and allow ourselves to be humble, right? And it's the second part here. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's the second part here. Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. So just let that sink in for a minute. You're humbling yourself under the mighty hand 
of God. Who's in control of all our circumstances? Who has the power over them? Well, ultimately, folks, we are not waiting on the president, and we are not waiting on the governor. We're not waiting on the makers of a vaccine. We're waiting on God, whose hand is mighty. That's an Old Testament expression. It's often connected with the way that God powerfully delivered Israel from Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm. And you'll remember that afterward during those wilderness years of testing, of trial, right? Moses told them, and he reminded them how he carried you. God carried you as a man carries his son. It's a beautiful image. So what what we're doing when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God is acknowledging that we are incapable, right? And we need his favor. We need his grace. So making ourselves low is really a way of exalting him as the one who is strong, the one who is mighty. And the promise here is he will exalt you. He will exalt you. When? At the proper time. You need to understand that being lifted up will come at his timing, not ours. So what are we to do while we wait? Well, keep trusting him. Keep trusting him. Now comes the third part, okay? This is how one acts when they are humbling themselves. When you're trusting into God's mighty hand and his sovereign purposes and what he has allowed to happen, here's what we do. As you are humbling yourself, it is this, casting all your anxieties on him. This is the means and this is the proof, really, of a humble spirit. The verb here means to throw, throw them. Like when they cast their garments down as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. The point is, if, if you really trusted me, God said, you would give me your anxieties. Paul said it a different way in Philippians, which we could summarize as, worry about nothing, pray about everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. So you to take your burdens, your anxieties, and the point is not so much of doing this with each and every one or if one at a time, but to take all of them, right? He says, all, all your anxieties, cast them all, the whole sum upon me. God wants us to trust him with every concern. You're not supposed to hold on to some. Oh, we'll take care of these ones. God, you can have these, right? We'll manage the rest. George Mueller often told this story. He said, Uh, There was once a boy who was walking along the road with a very heavy load on his shoulder. And a man came along with a horse-drawn cart and offered him a ride. Well, the boy climbed in the cart, but he kept the load, that heavy load, on his shoulders. And when the man asked him why he didn't put the load down on the cart, the boy said he didn't want to burden the horse. Point being... You and I have climbed into the cart of salvation through Christ, right? You're already in the cart. He is, in fact, bearing our load. Why don't you let go and cast it all on him? So as a church looking to come back again, may we do so then with the action of humility, not complaining of our burdens or griping about them, 
but casting them, right, together. That's what we're going to do, right? Cast our cares together upon him. And we have a great motivation for doing so, right? Because Peter adds this fourth and final part. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The idea is you have a caretaker. And that caretaker is God. That's why you should cast your worries on him. Jesus once told a parable about a very, well, he was a terrible judge who begrudgingly gave in to the persistent cry of a poor widow. Do you remember this? It was Luke 18. And the point was not so much that God is like the begrudging judge who could really care less about his people, but if you persist him enough and bother him enough, then he'll finally give in and take care of you. Actually, Jesus' point was actually a lesson of contrast, because this is what he said. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Uh, a helpful little paraphrase of this, of this little um, phrase here is, casting all your anxieties on him because you are his personal concern. You are his personal concern. You're the apple of his eye. So keep coming to him with your cares, your burdens, your troubles. As a church that longs to be together, and yet we cannot yet do that, at least in the complete way that we hope for, we entrust ourselves to God because we know he cares for us. So I'm asking you to have this, this posture as we, begin, as we begin this return to church, to come with humility, to come with acknowledgement that we're under God's mighty hand here. And so then we will come with our burdens cast, with our cares cast, trusting that he cares for us. And at the proper time, he will lift us up. Well, with that, let's close with a song. And then we'll have a little discussion here. Just like to say, Josh, before we sing that song, amen, amen. Uh, as I was sitting back there listening to the message and how it's so true, we need to humble ourselves before Christ. It came to mind, and, and I maybe say it too much, but uh, our dear Gwen would always sing this song when she was young in church. And it goes like this, I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all my burdens down at your feet. And anytime I don't know what to do, I will cast all my cares upon you. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, in, in this church, another song that as I, as I was a kid growing up was, burdens are lifted at Calvary. And how we need to just lay that at Jesus' feet, like you said. And once we do that, then that peace that passes all understanding comes to help us through these times and uh, of our loss. As I look out there at each one of you, how uh, each one has endured a loss or will endure a loss. And uh, this song, I Need Thee Every Hour, so, so true. There's times I need thee every minute. I need thee every moment. And uh, how... These songs are there to help us through these times. So 
Let's uh, sing I Need Thee Every Hour. close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come to you. We do come recognizing that you are God, that you are the king who is sovereign. Though we know that you are in complete control over all that happens. And Lord, we, your servants, want to be ready and quick and eager to obey and fear and follow you. Lord, as we look to the future, we confess our need of you. We pray that you would continuously give us your wisdom, your grace, uh, a spirit of unity and of peace. So, Father, we, we just can, are going to continue to come humbling ourselves and throwing our cares upon you. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your care, your tenderness, your affection. We rest in that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.